0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. Our goal on these SALT Talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conference series, which is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to bring you a talk uh, focused on wealth management with two fantastic guests. Our first guest today is Stacey Robinson. Uh, Stacey has been in the investment industry for over 20 years. She joined Wells Fargo Advisors as a financial advisor, uh, PIM Portfolio Manager in September of 2016. And prior to Wells Fargo Advisors, Stacey was with Morgan Stanley uh, for 17 years. Stacey's practice is comprised of corporate executives, entrepreneurs, closely held business owners, retirees, athletes, and entertainers. She and her team grow the practice through selective referrals. Her caring, commitment, and attention to detail creates mutually fulfilling, multi-generational relationships. Stacey graduated from Rutgers University with a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics and a uh, wealth management certified professional. Uh, she continues to proactively pursue education and knowledge to, str- to strategically analyze the evolving landscape to address her clients' interests, and we're glad to say that Stacy is a, a loyal watcher of SALT Talks, so we're very grateful for her uh, viewership here on these talks. Octavius Ted Reed uh, the third, is a senior vice president and wealth advisor with Morgan Stanley. Over the past 30 years, he has developed an area of focus working with clients in the sports and entertainment industry. As a Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment Director, he provides financial and uh, management services and helps guide many professionals through what can be an incredibly difficult space uh, as they start to accumulate significant amounts of wealth. Uh, he serves on the board of the Rhythm and Blues Foundation and is a lifetime active member of the o- Omega Sci-Fi fraternity. In 2012, he was inducted into the Black Entertainment and Sports Lawyers Association's Hall of Fame for his impact on the organization. He's on the Board of Governors for the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences as well. Hosting today's talk is someone with no rhythm or blues, Anthony Scaramucci. (laughs) He's the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, a global alternative investment firm. He's also the chairman of SALT. And with that, I'll turn it over to Anthony for the interview.
1: You, you are literally the whitest person that I've ever met in my life. And you're telling me that I have no risk. I still so got better moves than you, Anthony. Better moves than me? What are you talking about, okay? After you go in for your breast reduction surgery, we'll see how good your moves are. Okay. Stacy, good to see you. Ted, great to have you guys on. Thank you. Uh, don't mind the repartee between me and John. Okay. That's just typical of us. It's unfortunate, but what can I tell you? You know, we have this uh, young millennial that we have to keep track of. Uh, I have
0: to get my shots in. The unfortunate thing <laughs> is that Anthony is also the HR director
1: at Skybridge. So yeah, uh, he, so might, well, he I, might level a complaint. Getting, I keep getting talk. these anonymous complaints into my email <laughs> box about the harassment that I'm causing inside the firm. Of course, I'm hitting, I'm hitting the trash button every time it comes in, John. So give it up. OK, so let's, let's go right into managing wealth for athletes and entertainers. Uh, They have sometimes shorter careers. Certainly the athletes do NFL athletes as an example would be the most vivid example of that because of the high injury rates Uh, and the psychology. I mean, let's just be candid with each other. We're managing divas. Okay. There's only one diva on this salt talk. I'll let you figure that out uh, in in the end of this call. Someone with blonde hair actually is the only diva. (laughs) I thought
0: you were being self-aware, Anthony. I was going to admire that. no, no.
1: No, no. I'm still in denial, my man. I've been in denial for 57 years. I'm going to stay in denial. So how do you do it? How do you handle a diva, an egocentric maniac uh, who has a short shelf life, but it's making a lot of money and you want to keep them rich for the rest of their lives? Go ahead, Stacy. We'll start with you. Oh
2: uh, Yeah, Anthony. Um, thanks again for having me. This is um, an honor. So Athletes, like you said, often experience peak earnings relatively in a short duration, early in their life. Uh, Entertainers um, often contract to contract. There's a lot less predictability around their earnings. They also live with the knowledge that their careers could, like you said, abruptly come to an end. Um, Though there's an understanding that their career could end, there's still always a sense that another opportunity is going to be right around the corner for them. Uh, Many feel the duty and support of their family and friends uh, financially. They have that sense of duty because uh, they were included in the the support that they had before inking this deal. Um, Many, most unfortunately, don't understand that that deal came and it's going to be a lot less after taxes and the number of fees that their income can truly be. 50% or less in the take home. Um, They have pursued goals that put them where they are and they've beat a lot of odds. Now they had to consider planning and life beyond and that can be daunting for any age. So however brief this period is, their peak earnings are typically, and they dwarf typically the average individual who earns uh, in a decade or a lifetime they still have to establish a reasonable budget that reflects their current uh, reality, along with the long-term needs and goals that they have and the legacy that they'd like to leave. So yes, having them come to Jesus moment has a lot to do with uh, getting them to understand that this could be it.
1: So, so Ted, give me the speech. I'm coming into you. I got a $25 million a year contract. Uh, to Stacy's point, I've come out of probably a lower middle income family. And so I'm going to have some people that I want to take care of, obviously. And, you know, there's survivor's guilt too, right? We all know that, you know, there's a, there's a person that's coming out of that situation. They saw two or three of their friends not make it. Some of them have died, uh, perhaps, and some of them are just not doing well. And so now they're at the top of the food chain. So they want to give some money away uh and yet you want to keep them wealthy so give me the speech dad let me hear the speech
3: so i i guess the first part is to get them to 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 understand that in both sports and entertainment they make a lot of money for for typically a very very short period of time and they're young so that means they're typically going to have to live off of it for a very long period of time you know the average life of the nfl is 3.6 years and the nba almost 4.8 years um and so to get them to understand that if you start giving away all your money in the beginning, then you're going to run out of money at, at some point, And you're not going to be able to take care of that friends and family. I used to call it the MCI program back in the days you, for folks to remember that <laughs> MCI um, friends and family that suddenly come out of the woodwork that, that, you know, come to you that want you to finance every investment idea they've ever had or help get them, get them out of some, some financial decisions they may have made. Yes, you do wanna be able to take care of, uh, of family. You do wanna be able to take care of friends, but if you make the right decisions early, then you're afforded to be able to do that later on in life. But it's not something going, going directly into the draft right away that you just automatically write a check. I think the best way to help out friends and family, one of the things that I recommend to, to players and artists and actresses and actors that I work with is while, you're, while you have this celebrity, take advantage of this celebrity and people, everybody wants to get to know you at that moment. Okay. Well, well as you're meeting people in different businesses, introduce them to family members and say, Hey, they want to learn about your business or, you know, can they get a job? Can they work with you right now? It's, it's the old saying, teach them how to fish instead of giving them a fish.
1: So, so let's go back to you, Stacey, for a second. Uh, You do a lot of coaching. Uh, It's interesting because you're in, Psychology business, you're in the coaching business, and you're in the doctor no business. That's my assessment. Okay, maybe I'm wrong, but you literally, you know, someone's calling you, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to buy that G Wagon with the extra mag wheels, and you're saying no. Uh, but you're saying no to somebody that's usually getting what they want, and they have the adulation of fans, and they have the adulation of the sort of social networking ecosystem. So go ahead. Tell me what you do. Give me some more tidbits. How do you handle it?
2: Well, I am not in the business of telling my clients no, because this is the money that they've created, what they've um, sacrificed to being able to put themselves in this position. But what I will do is say, if this is not a part of the goals that we've initially established. And if you remove these resources from the, those goals are, how is it going to affect what it is that you said you're you planned for? Um, there's always going to be a sunny something somewhere that somebody's going to bring to them. And my goal is to have them understand the process that we've taken to put them in a position to realize a lot of the things that they say they wanted to do. And if we do something that's altered to that, how is it going to affect them? And if they can understand the long-term effect, um, again, if this is something you really want to do, then uh, if we remove it, this is how it's going to look based on the goals that you said you already established. So saying no, uh, I don't necessarily say no. I say this is how this is going to affect you.
1: Okay, it's fair enough. I think, I think it's well said. I mean, obviously you want to be respectful of the fact that they're earning uh, but you're also, you know, I mean, one of the things I've tried to do with clients over the years is delay gratification. Yes, You, know, you can delay gratification and teach compounding, but it ends up happening, they have a nest egg uh, that grows and then they can earn money off of the money that they made, which at some point in their careers are going to need to do. Uh, in fact, frankly, all of us obviously will need to do that. So Ted, let me ask you this question because it comes up all the time. Uh, Stock market volatility. uh, There's no wizardry. Uh, The four of us know we're in Wall Street and there's no panacea. Client calls up and they have the perfect story. Uh, It is the uncle's sister's aunt's niece's dog that just invented the next internet sensation. And they want to put a tremendous amount of money into that. So go ahead, Ted, what do you say?
3: No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> flat out no. I um, you know, contrary to uh to Stacy, I feel like I am in the business of saying no. Uh I say no all the time. As she said, I mean, as you know, as as you mentioned, people come to players every day, whether it's in the locker room, whether it's out in, in, in the club, in a social atmosphere, uh for artists, it's in the studio. Everybody's coming with some new great idea. And so the first thing that you've got to look at is, I can't recommend that they put money or don't put money into it. But what I start to do is point out the risks. You know, what are the risks involved in this? Let's start, and I start teaching them the right questions to ask about this situation Um, so that they begin to understand, hey, maybe this isn't a good investment to begin with. The other thing is that, you know, for somebody that has a very short lifespan in their career Um, and once again has to live off of this money for a long time. One of the biggest mistakes that I see people make is that they wanna put a large portion of their money into risk assets. And realistically they can't afford that type of risk. Now maybe later in their career as they've gotten into their their second or third contract where they're seeing significant money, okay, you can take a percentage, put that money away and we'll allocate that to, to higher risk assets and, and and maybe look in the case of a fund or something like that, but I don't know if I would necessarily be going into some of those projects, uh, especially like the one you mentioned.
2: Well, like, I guess um, mine is not a, a directly saying no. It's mine is a, a motherly way of saying <laughs> let's think this out because it's not going to be in your best interest, but let's put it all out there to see what this, right, how it's going to
1: affect you a long time. It's interesting. Ted is saying no, but you're saying, you know, I want you to get to know on your own and you're trying to coach them. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting thing because you're, you're struggling with all of that. Uh, Stacy, how do you manage intergenerational wealth planning for wealthy families that right. you're doing business with?
2: Oh, it's a lot about discovery. What's your interest, your values, the passion around that, what you want to leave as a legacy. Um, Analyze what your client's goals are, what their objectives are. Uh, I have access to great internal wealth planning where I am. Um, And often we use strategic relationships. It has a broad range of services that includes even uh, things like family dynamics coaching. They also have a team of attorneys that help me and my clients drill down on what their transition of wealth looks like for them, uh, whether it be trust, uh, some kind of giving tools, the best way to, to address taxes, gifting, estate, even philanthropic concerns. Um, will they uh, have a share in the findings uh, that will we can coordinate with other advisors and, and make suggestions to their attorneys that can provide actionable ideas and strategies uh, to keep them on that successful wealth plan and generationally.
3: Ted,
1: anything you want to chime in there? Uh,
3: I I, I could say that, um, you know, from my my standpoint, when I'm talking about generational wealth, part of it is educating the kids. And so so I spend a a decent amount of time with clients' children, talking to them and trying to teach them how, how the capital markets work and, and how to create a budget and how to focus early so that they learn these habits early because ultimately they're gonna be the ones to inherit the money. I'll leave, it, I'll leave it there. So
1: the stock market took a really hard hit in March of 2020
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and then it recovered to a new all-time high. So Stacy, take us through that, take us through how you communicate the clients during extreme volatility like that. I guess it's keeping just like they did
2: with their coming up and trying to get to where they are ultimately in, in their career, their professional career. Keep the eye on the ball, focus on the goal, what the priorities are, what their goals are. Uh, it sounds kind of remedial, but it's held true throughout my career through different market cycles. We've seen, um, and Ted's been around 30 years, I've been 20 years plus, that there's been a lot of different things that have come along too. Uh, effectively tell where clients feel like, should I be in this? So uh, is the time for me to get out. And and uh, what I try to do now, if they've been with me a season, um, they understand that adjustments to the investments isn't always the, not, it might seem natural, but that's not the natural cause to, cause to address these uh, market conditions or, or what we've experienced in March. Um, they now are kind of trained and say, are my goals uh, intact? Do I need to make any adjustments to my priorities of those goals? Um, So yeah, communicating during volatility is always um, on top of mind because we don't know what's going to happen. We can only control what we can control and addressing it with what their goals are and maybe making adjustments if that's necessary, but not necessarily going directly after the investment.
1: If you have a high profile client, uh, demanding personality, and uh always used to the word yes we're just talking about no <laughs> have you been in a situation where you've had to let a client go have you been in a situation where you've had to have a tough talk ted how does it go
3: um that happens very often um you know i've had i i, I had a client many years ago who um uh had a a, 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 a a thing for private planes several times a week. uh was living a lifestyle that was costing probably close to, uh, you know, several hundred thousand dollars a week. Um, yeah, actually, probably a bit more than that. And, you know, at does, one he, point does he know my
1: kids, Ted? I mean, it sounds like my kids. You told talking I mean, oh, one of my I, kids I, happen to be I, one of your clients. I'm just, I
3: know you. your son's in the industry and um, probably is. No, not any of the people that I've seen, um, that he works with, but, but yeah, he's probably been around them.
1: Um, he just, but, he just dropped a uh, killer video with this kid, Travis Barker, you know, who's a yeah. drummer Yeah, and a kid cool. named poor sports Stacy. I got to send you the video, but it's, a uh, it's blowing up right now, but I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. So yeah, okay, but, you got
3: this. So, um, you know, and so was spending a tremendous amount of money and we had many, many talks uh, about the, the spending, and finally, it came to a point where the one thing that I, I've seen, and Stacy can, I'm sure you can attest to the same thing, is when things go wrong, when that person ends up broke, it's usually the financial advisor's fault, or at least that's the, that's the perspective is it's the financial advisor's fault. And so my attitude was, okay, I can, I can only teach you and point you the right direction, I can't force you what to do. But, but what I do have the option to be able to do is no longer work with you because I don't want my name attached if you're just gonna self-destruct. So I do my absolute best to try to coach them. to tr- And, 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 and I've rarely had that problem because I interview clients from the beginning. And so I can usually tell who I can help and who I can't right away. But yes, it, it does happen often. Um, I think that you have to be the no guy. One of the things that when I'm going into a new situation with clients, I usually bring that up in advance. I usually in advance say, while everything is good and they're filling out the paperwork to open a new account, um, that there are going to be times where we are going to disagree. There are going to be times where you're going to want to make some sort of financial decision. And I'm going to say it's a bad idea. And we may argue about it, but but understand this, I'm giving you that from the perspective of someone who started, I worked, my first athlete was in 1987. And so I've, I've been through working with players my entire career, working with artists, working with actors. I've seen this script before. And so when I'm giving you this advice, just understand whether we agree or disagree that it's purely in your best interest. You can always make a decision to go the other route, but at least understand that I'm not arguing unless I feel it's in your best interest. Yeah.
0: Stacey, I want to jump in uh, with a question for you. We've seen a trend, at least a publicized trend of some athletes choosing to live off of their endorsement income only and save all the money they earn uh, in terms Mm -hmm. of their salaries. Uh, So it seems like there is some enlightenment that's taking place among athletes and entertainers. Uh, and more awareness of the fact that you know they have a short earnings span and a long lifespan after their careers are over. What are some other types of habits or guideposts or or uh, things like I just mentioned in terms of saving all of your salary income? Do you offer as tips to athletes and entertainers that you work with?
2: So again, discovery uh, to determine what it is that their goals are. I mean. A, difficult to think about it when that you're that young but this is a perfect time to try to map out as much as you can and because like you said john they they've seen the stories of the past uh athlete or entertainer that had these huge contracts and how could have they spent all that money and have nothing to to speak for to it um having the right advisors around them you know because sometimes uh, that's because They haven't paid their taxes and they don't have, and nowadays you've got to have even security around understanding that. So um, having access to those that, or the resources that can provide the kind of intelligence around their online presence and things that could diminish or affect the reputational risk. So there's so many more things that since I started my career that, that need to be addressed today. And, and because a lot of the athletes and entertainers are, are become a lot more um, aware that their resources can, can disappear, they are taking and receiving uh, recommendations far more thoughtfully than they have maybe in the past when we've seen them and the resources deplenish dis- quickly.
0: Ted, do you have any frameworks that you use when you get new clients and they're, they're looking to just set some hard and fast habits and rules around how they look at money?
3: Uh, part of it is, you know, we start with planning to begin with. And so, so as, as a process with the team, we sit down and talk about what are your goals? What are the objectives? What do you plan to do when this is over? And if that's the first discussion I always have is okay. When, when the game's all over or when, when it's all over, what do you plan to do next? and let's start focusing on that now and creating a budget now. And so we create that budget. You know, we, we're gonna check in with you every time you go off budget uh, to make sure. But it's it's always about trying to put as much away as you possibly can today so that you're not out there trying to squeeze out another season or, or you know, having to, to take on a tour that you really don't wanna take or take a show that you really don't wanna do because you've gotta be able to pay the bills.
0: Yeah, right. And we've talked about people, you talked earlier on, Ted, about uh, this notion that when you become famous, when you get drafted, and it's clear that you're going to have a high income, at least for several years, there's people that come out of the woodwork, whether it be distant uncles or your local pastor offering services as a financial advisor. There's horror stories that you see, ESPN to the 30 for 30, about some of the most egregious cases of people trusting other people with their wealth and turning around and all that money being gone the next day. What do you do and how do you counsel people, Ted, on you know, how to control that inner circle and, and uh, really surround themselves with the right people? And who are those people? You know, a financial advisor obviously is a, a great step in the right direction. But what's the, the team that you advise these athletes and entertainers to put together? And how do you advise them to keep you know, people out that are sort of predatory?
3: So, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's the old saying, it takes a village um and so it does require having the right team around you uh when i the, the the really successful situations i've seen there's there's the agent the lawyer the accountant or business manager uh the financial advisor that all tend to work together uh we will tend to have quarterly meetings with with the player and sometimes the player may even have his family there but if you can have all of those people having discussions around each other, you know, it could be, it could be a short, you know, half hour, hour call, but just to kind of review, this is where our plan is. This is what we're trying to do. It makes it a lot easier uh, for that player. And yes, like you said, people are going to come out of the woodwork. They're going to come out of the woodwork all the time. You can't say yes to everybody. I, you know, one of the analogies I, I, I look at, I used to always say just because of the market that I'm in, Every time somebody is part of a charity, they call me. Hey, can you can you call to get an autograph or can you call to get this sign for me or, or that sign? You know, and, and, or can you can you contribute to this salary? I mean, to this charity. It's a great cause. And I should say, if I had to write a check to every charity that called me, I'd probably be broke. Not that I don't support these things, but so imagine a ball player or or an artist who's got a million followers on Instagram. Well, if you send every one of them a, a dollar after taxes, that's almost, you know, you're, you're really writing almost $2 million of your net income. Most people can't afford to do that. So you've got to cut back. You've got to make a decision of, OK, what's important and what do, who do I want to support? What do I want to support? But you can't do everybody. And that's the thing you got to tell it when, when people call is, look, I've got family. I've got close people that I have to take care of. And I, I just am not able to afford to be able to do that right now.
0: Yeah. One thing we, we have some clients that uh, we can't divulge their names that are athletes and entertainers. And it's almost like uh, somebody who has addiction problems. If they go out to the bar, uh, have something ready to say to people who come to you asking for things, you know, be prepared for that conversation and say, you know what, I have to take care of so-and-so. And so I, I just can't, uh, you know, be giving money to everyone around me. And it's very important for them to have that, you know, be armed with that for that catchphrase or that uh, talking point that they yeah. need to fend off people uh, that come looking for money. Uh, Stacy, what's your experience in terms of what, what an optimal team looks like uh, around you and how you control that team?
2: Yeah. So, you know, beyond the obvious professionals, it's, you know, the CPA, or the state and the tax attorney, or the insurance providers. And of course, what Ted and I do um, because there's so many discussions now, that, like you said, that now athletes and entertainers are recognizing that their likeness and they're becoming influencers and are content creators. Um, I got to have a Rolodex or I think that maybe I just aged myself. I have a uh, list of contacts <laughs> that also includes um, people that do valuation work and could possibly tell you why you should not be involved in this, whether it be financial or because of reputational risk, because that's just as important as finance today uh, Because reputational risk can ruin a career pretty soon or early as well. Um, Maybe having a business manager, instead of you telling people, no, you can say, uh, direct all my requests to this person and they'll be your no person. Um, Having a central trusted advisor who brings everybody under the tent, like Ted was talking about when they have, uh, having family meetings where, you can understand and discuss what the financial situation looks like in that top line that that contract was written for. to, everybody understands that there's a whole lot more between that line and you getting those resources. So when people are all understanding and under that tent working together, then um, we are all working in concert and not in separate silos.
0: Yeah. Going back to some of these challenges and the pitfalls that that athletes and entertainers specifically fall into, Ted, what are some of the the traps? We've talked about some of them, but what are the most common traps that you see? Maybe not with your clients because of course you're keeping them from falling into those traps and and experiencing a lot of those pitfalls, but what are ones you see from the outside when you see cases of, of some of these athletes or entertainers who really uh, get themselves in trouble?
3: Um, you know, many times I would say for for artists, it's not, it's forgetting about paying taxes. Um, <laughs> it's that's that's a pesky it, detail. Yeah, uh, it's thinking that um, you know a million dollars is a lot of money, and so I can go out and spend what I need. Uh, as we say, it's you know, which over time, that, you know, if you look at that over the over the lifetime, it's not. Um, it's like we said before, the friends and family that come out of the woodwork, it's, it's not viewing it as a business, um, that this is a business and everybody else looks at you as a business and you should look at yourself as a business. And, and, and so take the time. I know a lot of times, you know, many creatives are, well, I don't understand finance. I don't, you know, it's not my thing. Okay. Well, that's what I'm here for. But you know it's it's something that I want you to learn. And somebody, if you're hiring a financial person, they should be able to explain to you in plain English. You know that's one of the biggest problems is that you come in that that people come in a lot of times, especially in the in the artistic community, people tend to make decisions with their heart. And it's well. This is a nice person. Seems like a good person. So I'm going to trust them with my money. Now, still say trust but verify. And so one of the things that that I try to do is show them how do you do your due diligence. What type of questions should you be asking? How can you go online and look this person up before you hand over money to that person, and then find out okay they've been stealing all along. Um, you know as uh, are they even a real financial advisor? One of the things I direct everybody to is FINRA.org um, so, so that you can go and, 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 and check out the record, because there's a there's a lot of folks that will hold that title out there. Um, right. have no experience in the investment world. And I see people get burned that way. So how about you, Stacy?
2: Um, I will echo, listen, you met one of the personalities that I deal with, who is kind of larger than life. And um, uh, I find, even though he's larger than life, I will bring him information for him to be able to make supportive decisions around. And he's thoughtful using that. Now, it may be that I, I work with more um, seasoned people in the sports Uh, and entertainment industry, so they have uh, seen the course of making educated decisions in their careers, um, but it doesn't change for whomever it is, whether they're just getting into the industry. So, um, yeah, just making sure that I am providing them as much information and resources to make educated decisions about what their tomorrows will look like after a career ends.
0: So you talked earlier, Ted, about the process of educating even the children of athletes and entertainers that you work with and how important that is to set up the next generation to understand uh, the same principles and maybe even understand them better than their parents did as they entered their careers. But what as a society starting through, you know, uh, secondary education up through uh, college can we do to help prepare these young men and women uh, you know, better financial education, better financial literacy. It's, it seems to me college sports, for example, is, is sets kids up for failure by not offering some level of sort of remediatory uh, financial education. So what, Stacey, and I'll start with you on this one, what would you like to see done at an education level uh, up through, you know, adulthood in terms of educating people more on financial literacy besides everyone tuning into SALT Talks and watching all of our
2: conversations? <laughs> Uh, something that was discussed around my dinner table, budgeting and understanding the amount of money that you have and paying yourself first um, after, you know, all paying everybody else that needs to be paid, including those taxes Ted talked about, but then paying yourself first, because that means if you put away a nest egg for yourself, then, the, then you have the opportunity, the potential to have something for you uh, when this career ends, right? So, um, what I think they could do better in school is teach people about the h- compounding of interest, what it means when you invest. Um, you know, Robinhood and what they're doing right now, a, making it more democratized and investing. There's got to be understand why you should not put your money on margin when you're buying a stock.
0: Shouldn't buy right? GameStop on margin when it's yeah, at $350 a share? Yeah, so a, a lot share? of
2: the tools that I think schools are missing is just plain education. Even, um, when I was in it, I got a degree in economics. It still was theoretical. There was no applicable uh, tools that you really right. had. You had. When I got into the industry, that's when I started learning about why and it was important to put away um although my parents did give me the understanding that savings was important but um sometimes you need to have the application of what that means because if it's just out there in either the when you're young it just doesn't make sense to you um balancing a checkbook i mean it's although we don't use checkbooks anymore but balance a checkbook you understand what i'm talking about
0: yeah exactly um, the digital checkbook now yeah the station. digital con- we don't, don't think you yeah. still use a physical checkbook
1: no <laughs>
0: no how about you, Ted? What type of resources uh, do you direct people towards and how can we do a better job societally of preparing uh, these young men and women for, you know, just understanding basic economics of the household?
3: Um, you know, I'll start out by, by saying we've got to do a better job of teaching financial literacy in schools. Um, you know, I was fortunate. I, I, I grew up in Willingboro, New Jersey, which was a working class area, but I had a teacher in eighth grade that brought a game into our classroom called Stocks and Bonds that 3M put out that taught us about the stock market. Um, And so that's how I ended up getting into this career. That's what made me want to be into the stock market wanted to invest, Um, you know, and and that later became, I think the stock market game uh, that a lot of schools played, but but I don't think it's in every school. I think that needs to be taught. Financial literacy needs to be taught in every school. players you know it's uh, i think that leagues have done a, a better job uh now are my firm that i work for created a sports and entertainment division a number of years ago and you know we go out to universities and colleges and universities and teach financial literacy to to the uh the athletes um but it's something and and i actually used to do it for um for you know one of the major leagues that i would go out and and, and talk to players but the thing is sometimes it's it's you know, you'll have these programs where, uh, you know, they might two or three times a year talk about financial literacy. And, it, and it's like this. It's like when you were a little kid, your parents told you to look both ways before you cross the road several times. It's not, you know, you can't just have one or two classes and it's over. I think it needs to be consistent.
2: Yeah, I think consistency is key.
1: Let me, let me let me chime in for one second, because I, I, I'm just curious as to how you guys feel about this. Um, and this is an age-old question. I always get this question asked, uh, and, and that is uh, financial independence. Do you reverse inquiry your clients, meaning do you sit down and say, okay, Someday your earnings is going to be different. Maybe it'll be better. You know, certain cl- certain athletes transition into broadcasting, like Tony Romo, and it turns yeah. out he has a very lucrative career. But do you do the reverse inquiry in the beginning or the reverse engineering and say, okay, this is the number that it'll take for you to live this sort of lifestyle that you want, and this is the targeted way that we're going to get there. Do you guys sit down and do that in the beginning?
2: Certainly. I, yeah, you have to do it early on, like uh, uh, Ted was saying, and and often, and con, uh, with consistency. So, I try to build mine around what's ideal and acceptable. Right? Ideally, this is what you'd like to have, but acceptably, this is a comfortable life that wouldn't diminish what it is that you you've created throughout your throughout your career. Um, and we have to make adjustments along the way. I mean, does it does it mean that you have to not have exactly what you want ideally. Uh, maybe there's a combination of both ideal and acceptable to get you to a point where this is going to be a uh, source of income that you don't have to necessarily watch depleted over time.
1: What is you know Ted, yeah, yeah, and I and I, and I I I love that I try to do that with clients. I try to do that with my children. Um, Ted, let me let me ask you this. You, you have a uh, um something you know today, Mm -hmm. through all of your years of experience as a financial advisor, you didn't know it in the beginning of your career, but you know it today, okay? And so for me, what is that? It is to trust the process of compounding, not to have happy feet in investing. And so for me, I'm embarrassed to tell you guys that I have owned Amazon, I have owned Google, I have owned Microsoft and my and my family accounts over the years. And had I just left things alone, uh, and, you know I would have probably done way better than the friction that I created in my own life. So that's me. That's my learning observation among many over thirty three years. What about you? What is something you wish you knew about your career, or your industry? Day one.
3: It's actually kind of what you just said, um, and I just had this conversation just just the other day. You know, when I started in the business, we were stockbrokers, and it was much different. It was about sitting up late at night and analyzing balance sheets and income statements, trying to come up with that hot idea so you could sell as many people that idea as possible. Today, it's about building wealth for people. And what I've realized is, and and I think about this a lot when I see, um, you know, the current environment, the current news and and these stocks that are doubling and tripling in value that have no real valuation over time. Um, In the long run, you buy good quality businesses and hold on to them and you let the managers do what they do best. And so, so back in 89, I shifted a lot of my business over to asset managers as opposed to be sitting there trying to pick what is the hot idea. You know, it's, it, I, I go back to um, things that we all learned as a kid. It's the couple things we learned as a kid was one, don't put all your eggs in one basket, okay? <laughs> you know, um, and that was one of the most important things that, that you learned and you also learn the story of the hare and the tortoise. And they don't make up these stories overnight. And if you, if you just look at, you know, I've, I've been fortunate that 10 months after I got hired was the crash in 87. And then we had the mini crash and then the collapse of the FDIC, I mean, FSLIC, the junk bond scandal, Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm, 9-11. There's been bad news every time I've, uh, almost every year I've been in this business.
1: You left out David Askin, Ted. Remember David Askin? He blew up the goddamn bond market in 94. Yeah. Remember
3: that? Yes. Yes. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I mean, there's, there's been so much bad news that would scare anybody. But the bottom line is you know, over time, companies are in business to make money. And if you've got a fully diversified portfolio of quality businesses over time, you're gonna build wealth. So stop trying to time the market, stop trying to pick what that hot idea is out there and just have a pure diversified basket. Now you might make changes from time to time, but, but I, I think that that makes a lot more sense than when I first started and all I wanted to do was trade and try to make a quick buck.
1: And there's no holy grail. Anybody that's telling you they have a perfect strategy, then you know you got to <laughs> run for the woods because that yeah. perfect strategy is usually going to lead to that person being in jail at some yeah. point. Right? right? Absolutely. What about you, Stace? What, Stacey? What about you? What, what, what is something you wish you had, you'd learned and was crystal clear when you first got started?
2: First got started. Um, <laughs> being at a firm that uh, you know like Ted saying, when you got to work, you listened to the squad box and tried to pick the stock for that day. And you heard your the analyst pounding the table. And I that was exciting for me. And that's why I got into the industry. If I could just make sure that my clients had the right stock in their portfolio. And if I don't make the right decision, what am I going to do to this person? And as you get time in the business, like we say time in the market, um, mm-hmm you start to realize it's more about planning um, and letting either the asset manager make the the portfolio changes that are necessary. Or in my case, I like using passive investing through indexing and just making sure that this proper asset allocation for my clients. And I include risk as part of their goal. Um, You know, I don't wanna, most people say they can take a lot of risk and the moment they hit that risk, they're like, "What?" has happened. And you're like, we understood that risk was going to happen. So I don't want to put them right up against the most amount of risk that they say they're willing to take. There's somewhere in between and the market is going to do what it does. But what we've seen since Ted said he was in the business, the market has gone up. It might have taken some pullbacks in market cycles, but we have seen the market goes up. And as long as we have cash available for those short-term needs and understand what long-term goals mean, I think we will do the best of of whatever our client brings to us in the best of their interest.
1: Quaker Oats, Stacey. Quaker Oats. That was the first stock that I sold to a client. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Got on the phone. I said, the analyst just recommended Quaker Oats, and he bought 500 shares for me. I thought I was a king for the day. I thought I was Bud Fox for the day. Quaker Oats.
3: It was Union Carbide
1: for me. Union Carbide. See that? Union Carbide in
3: Transamerica. It?
1: See that? You remember your first stock that you sold to somebody, Stace?
2: Uh, it might have been... Um, G E. Just GE. because it was a stalwart. All right, you see that gonna, so you're more it.
1: sophisticated than Ted and I. I was, just sell, <laughs> I was selling oatmeal. <laughs> well, now, now, sixty years
0: after you made that first recommendation, when you when you were in your twenties, Anthony, I eat uh, Quaker oats still every morning for breakfast. I have my bowl of oatmeal. So
1: sixty years, you see him. Sixty <laughs> years. Okay. When you next time you see Darcy and he's walking with a limp, you'll know why. Okay, that'll be the. <laughs>
0: Well, I think you uh, you so called
1: our IT department. You, yeah.
0: you called our IT department and had them disconnect my internet there, so you could get back into the conversation. Ah, is that what happened? You over. noticed
3: that, yeah? <laughs> that would happen. I thought you felt asleep. Like you're, I fell right. asleep. you're a
1: clever millennial, so you figured out how to reboot.
0: now I'm I'm uh, tethered to my phone's uh, hotspot, so I had to get creative. I think the jackhammer above my head might have had something to do with it, but it's <laughs> it's suspicious, Anthony. But I'll, I'll let this one slide. But thank you, Stacey and Ted, so much for joining us here on Salt Talks. We love uh, bringing these conversations to our audience and, and allowing people to learn uh, using free resources like Salt Talks. I think there are a lot of resources out there today that didn't exist uh, 5, 10, 20 years ago uh, because of the advent of the Internet uh, and just the proliferation of media that's out there today. So if people are willing to learn, they have the, the resources to learn they just need uh, the right people guiding them, uh, like okay. you, uh, Stacy and Ted do for, for the clients that you work with, which are why they're so loyal to you. So thank you so much for joining us.
2: Listen, I want to say thank you as well. You know, um, I'm in an industry, or we're in an industry that there's not too many people that look like um, like I do, or a woman and a Black woman, and I'm acutely aware of that and what it means. And Uh, We've seen what representation means and shapes many discussions that that we're having up to today, and uh, representation is important. And Anthony, I appreciate you recognizing that and using your platform to broaden the brush through guest, Anthony, and this has been a great opportunity, and I, and I thank you for welcoming a different voice.
1: Well, I, I appreciate it. I hope you'll come back, and uh, we're always trying to do that, and, uh, uh, and I'm very grateful for you for the pioneering that you've done, frankly, Stacy, and you've been a great role model for so many people.
3: Thank and Stacey, you. I don't think I could have said it any better. Uh, I, I appreciate you, Anthony and, and John, for giving us this platform.
1: Ted, I, I, I like you a great deal, but I'm, you're not getting out of here without a hair joke. I just want to let you know that, okay? I just, I thought you thought you were getting out of the Salt talk without a hair joke, but I'm, I'm just letting you know all those trials and tribulations in the market, I kept my hair, okay? Let you
3: know. Well, well, I had hair until I went and got the vaccine last weekend. Oh, <laughs> see that? Okay, see that? All right. So that's all right. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be struggling no, no, with COVID nineteen. No, 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 I mean, please, everybody, great. get the vaccine. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, make sure to control the camera angle so it doesn't come in from the top. That's all
3: I'm saying. No, oh, so yeah. oh, no, there's a little yeah. bit of
1: a, there's a little bit of a alien it, landing strip in it, the back now. I'm going so over. If the hair hard. is real. <laughs> It's fine. Okay. This is real hair. Okay. But the hair my, is real, so but it's not, that's to... not what the real color looks like. Uh, no, if I needed honest. sod replacement, I'd be going in for it tonight. tonight. <laughs> Listen,
2: my dad used to say nothing, Hair does, well, was it, grass doesn't grow on a busy street. So, um,
1: Or on a perfect, head. <laughs> or a perfect okay. head.
0: And thank you again, everybody, for joining today's Salt Talk with Stacey Robinson of Wells Fargo Advisors and Ted Reed. Uh, from Morgan Stanley. We hope you're able to glean some important lessons on uh, intergenerational wealth planning, uh, specifically as it pertains to athletes and entertainers. But I think a lot of what we talked about today, is applicable for a wide variety of, uh, of individuals who are looking to do long-term wealth planning. Just a reminder, if you missed any of this talk or any of our previous SALT talks, you can access them all for free on our website at salt.org talks, and you can access them all on our YouTube channel, uh, which is titled SALT We post all of our episodes there and we live stream them there as well. And please follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter is where we're most active. And also we're on Facebook. And please tell your friends about Salt Talks. We love growing our community and exposing uh, more and more people to the education that we strive to provide here on these Salt Talks. But on behalf of the entire Salt team, uh, this is John Darcy signing off
3: for today. We'll see you back here again soon on Salt Talks.